grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Before we begin, just a content warning that this episode discusses rape. Hi and welcome to Adopt Perspective. I'm your host, Joe Sparrow. Today is the first of two episodes with Evelyn Robinson. Evelyn is a mother who was separated from her first child, Stephen, through adoption in Scotland in 1970. Evelyn was born and raised in Renfrew, Scotland, and emigrated to Bermuda and later to South Australia, where she's lived since 1982. She has a wealth of knowledge and experience in relation to the long-term outcomes of adoption separation and has experienced post-adoption services from every perspective as a client, a volunteer, and as a professional counsellor. Her undergraduate and postgraduate qualifications are in the areas of social work and education. In 2017, Evelyn was named in the Australia Day Honours List and received an Order of Australia Medal for her service to the community, in particular to family members separated by adoption. She's also the mother of five children and a devoted grandmother and has written several books, including Adoption and Loss, The Hidden Grief, Adoption and Recovery, Solving the Mystery of Reunion, Adoption, Reunion, Ecstasy or Agony, and Adoption Separation, Then and Now. Evelyn Robinson, you're a busy woman. Welcome to Adopt Perspective. Thank you very much for inviting me and uh, giving me the time. Oh, it's fantastic. We're so happy to have you. You've been on our list for a long time and we're slowly, you know, getting through to everybody that we wanted and um, and so we're so happy to have you. Evelyn, today we're going to be talking about your personal experience as a mother who was separated from her son through adoption. And our next episode is going to be about what you've learned and about the impacts of adoption throughout your work and your wonderful books. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess my first question would be to ask if you could share with us a little about your life before you became pregnant. Uh, yes, I was born in 1949 in, in Renfrew and I'm the youngest of three children. I went to school in Paisley and then to Edinburgh University. So I spent three years living in Edinburgh and I love Edinburgh. Yeah. (laughs) And those were my my university years. Um, Meantime, uh, the rest of my family uh, left the UK. So my parents and my sister went to live in Bermuda and my brother lived in Southern Africa. So from the age of about... 18 I think I was the only one of my family left in Scotland Uh, I was sharing a a flat with another girl who was a student in Edinburgh I know your relationship with your father um, 
was a difficult one when you were growing up, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Um, he wasn't an easy man to get along with. And uh, uh, my mum said, well, he was, he was seriously affected by the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, he fought in the war. And he, she said he really didn't want to. I suppose not many men did, really. But, but he had to. He, his, the two older children were born while he was away. But yes, he, he wasn't an easy man to get on with. And mum was always the peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, when I wanted to go to university, my dad just said, no, nope, no need for that. And I said to mum, oh, mum, can you talk to him, you know? And, and mum would try to talk him around. Uh, and when she didn't really succeed in talking him around, but she just said, well, we'll just, just do it anyway, you know? Um, he was supposed to sign something and mum forged his signature. because He, he wouldn't. He wouldn't <laughs> Go, <do> mum. <laughs> um, oh, but it, there was nobody prouder when I got my degree, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even though he hadn't been in favour of it. Yeah. Um, so I went to visit my parents in Bermuda um, and that was when I would have been, well, I think, 18 it's hard to it's hard to remember now exactly but in my late teens I went to visit my parents in Bermuda and I just fell in love with Bermuda it was so beautiful where is Bermuda for our listeners because I had to look it up I mean I'd heard of it but I didn't really have an idea of where it was on the globe well people sort of assume it's in the West Indies but it's not it's much further north Uh, it's in sort of in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and it's off the coast of the United States Yes, I was going to say you were a real, you had a real adventurous spirit when you were young because, I mean, you were pioneering going to university in your family Mm -hmm. and you traveled alone. I mean, I go overseas and travel now. I just went to Japan, you know, back when we could travel (laughs) back in 2019 and, -hmm. and, you know, just negotiating, um, traveling across the country and figuring it all out for myself. Mm -hmm. I find it so stressful and we have access to so much more than what you would have when Mm -hmm. you were young. But you, Mm -hmm. you know, you traveled around and you really struck out and did things on your own and didn't let anyone stop you. I did. I, I was quite independent. I think that's what my father had problems with, that I was yeah. independent. So we know that like Evelyn was an adventurer and a bit of a pioneer and you didn't let people stop you from doing things. <laughs> things changed for you um, rather suddenly. What can you tell us about your pregnancy and, and that experience? And yeah. Well, I um, I was... I, I didn't have many boyfriends in my teens. I was determined, I, I wanted to get married and have children. Um, and I was determined uh, to do that at some stage. There were two events which uh, I guess really led up to uh, the situation. Um, I had a relationship with a young man um, a, a friendship relationship to begin with. He was part of, my, as it, I was a teenager, he was part of my friendship group and I really liked him. And then it became a bit more of a personal relationship. And um, eventually he, he said that, uh, to me, it was a proposal, uh, but it was awarded... Um, what he said was, uh, why don't we move in together? Why don't we get a flat together? 
um, I'll, I'll find us a place and uh, we'll move our stuff in and we'll live together. Now, I saw that as a, a commitment of some kind. In those days, it was. People were just starting to live together without being married. It was still a bit um, daring um, and, and parents, you know, didn't approve, but people were doing that. So I took it as virtually a proposal of marriage. I was really keen on them. And of course, when you're when you're in love, you hear what you want to hear. Yeah. Um, so I agreed to have sex with them. It was my first time, but I was in love and we were going to live together and all of that. And uh, he left with the agreement that he was going to for and he never came back. And he never, he literally never spoke to me again. Yeah. And then I turned up at one sort of event where there was a group of friends out and I saw him with another woman, another girl, uh, who I knew he'd had a relationship with before. And if you read up about that sort of stuff now, that's now known as rape by deceit. Because this is how I, how I feel, because he deceived me into thinking this was going to be a long-term relationship and I was safe with him mm. and we were going to live together and live happily ever after and everything. And, and on the basis of that, I agreed to have sex with him. So mm. I, I consider that yeah. uh, rape by deception. Um, when I realised very quickly that nothing was coming of it and he ignored me and and uh, I never never saw him again um I was devastated I was really brokenhearted and uh very upset about the whole business yeah. and so well not so but my mum invited me to come out to Bermuda for a holiday and I thought well yes that might be a good idea get away from everything you know because all our friends knew you know it was, yeah. it was very sort of public yeah. And I felt I had been unceremoniously dumped, you yeah. know. So I went to Bermuda for a holiday uh, with my cousin. I was just, I was miserable, really. Uh, nothing was going to cheer me up. Anyway, we, we sort of had a good time there. And I met a guy there. We were down at the beach one afternoon and I met this guy. And he said uh, he played in a band and at a club that we were that we had been going to with live music and he said why don't you come down the club tonight and uh, we're our band's playing tonight so we did and it came it was getting a bit later and my cousin said I think we should go now because we had to get the bus home because we didn't have any transport um and I said to him, we have to go now to get the last bus home sort of thing. And he said, oh, no, just, just wait and I'll take you home. We're, we'll be finished soon and I'll take you home. So she went on the bus and I waited and listened to the band. And then instead of taking me home, he took me in completely the opposite direction. And I started to get worried because I didn't know where I was. I was in a strange country, really. And... And I knew the buses were now finished. There were no buses. And he took me to a park. He said, have you, have you been to this place? And I said, oh, it's lovely. You'll like it. So we had a walk around this park. And then he, he made it very obvious that he expected to have sex before he would take me home. Um, and I, I, 
I was a bit afraid at this point. I was in this strange country in the middle of a, a sort of a park and I didn't actually know the way home because we lived at, my mum and dad lived at the other end of the island. I didn't know how to get home because uh, the buses had all stopped. Um, and I thought, oh, we'll get it over with then. Go on then if that's what you want to do and just take me home and that'll be that and I'll never see him again, you know. So that's basically what happened. Um, so sorry that happened to you, Evelyn. And, and that really, and then uh, he didn't take me home. He said, uh, oh, I'll drop you down here. You'll probably be able to pick up a taxi. And then he just disappeared into the night. And I thought, oh, and I just was a bit weird. Oh, men, you know, I had enough of men. They haven't done very well by me. And then I got back to Edinburgh, back home, and uh, began to suspect that I might be pregnant. And I was devastated because it was such an such a negative experience. And I couldn't imagine that, that a child would be produced from that experience. Yeah. And I was so angry with how I had been treated mistreated that I I couldn't uh, it was hard to ha to feel that this was actually my child what led to your separation from Stephen and subsequent adoption so I guess mm. what was going through your mind what support did you have what you know what led to that that happening I yes, I, I wrote to my my mum to tell her, and mum said she wrote back and she said, So what are you going to do about it? When I told my children that, they were really shocked because my mother was a wonderful woman. She was kind and to everybody, um, and very thoughtful and uh, unselfish. And when I told the children that she said that, they were really shocked. They said, well, she didn't offer to, to do anything. She, knew, she didn't say, come and stay with us. I said, no, she didn't. She just said, what are you going to do about it? So I, I thought, well, I'm on my own with this. What can I do about it? And my the friend that I was sharing the flat with um, was, was training as a... Uh, well, what they call, at that time they called it a nursery nurse, uh, child childcare. She was training mm -hmm. in childcare, but in those days the childcare centres were only available to children at risk. So the children that she was dealing with either had behaviour problems or difficult problems at home, and um, and and she would come home and tell me what what a nightmare it was and how these children were dirty, they weren't looked after properly, and blah blah blah. And, and so she said, you know, if you, if you have your baby and put it into childcare, it's, it's a nightmare. Plus, she said, they, there's, so, there's so many sort of infections among the children there because they're not properly looked after that any other children that go there just pick everything up, you know. And I, I just was at a loss. I couldn't think what I could do. Um, I was in my last year of my degree and I, and I had fought so hard to get to university, uh, overruled my father in the process. 
and um, it just I just felt there was no way forward. I had no idea what yeah. was going to happen. And then, um, of course, I, by that time I was talking to people about it because it was obvious that I was pregnant. And one friend said, look, I, I think I know someone who can arrange an adoption through the church. They do it all the time. And uh, adopted children go to a good home because the parents have really wanted to have a child and, and the, the child would be well looked after and have everything and all of that. And I just, uh, yeah, I guess in the end, I just couldn't think of anything else. Couldn't yeah. think of anything else. It was to the do. only option that seemed to become available. Yeah. 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 So um, can you tell us um, if it's okay about your experience of giving birth to Stephen and, and what sort of happened after that? Mm. Um, my mother came over uh, for the birth, came over to Edinburgh, <coughs> and uh, Marie and I were uh, actually at a film show. It was a film about the Rolling Stones, and I started getting contractions and uh she kept saying you all right have you are you all right have you sit down sit down don't stand up <laughs> um and then oh and we just i decided i needed to go home we went home and then we got a taxi and we went to the hospital um and and all this time i i was It's hard to describe now how I was feeling. I, I was angry. I was angry with, that, with him. Um, and I was angry with myself because I was used to sort of being strong and making good decisions. And, and I just couldn't make a decision with it because it, nothing was going to be good. You know, I couldn't see a happy outcome really for anybody. Yeah. Um, and I and I was quite bitter in terms of the way I had been treated by the men in my life. Uh, that was part of it as well. Yeah. And I and I felt powerless really and quite hopeless. I just couldn't see ahead. And the, the place we were living, students are always poor, you know. We were poor, and we rented this flat, Marie and I. And I had an outside toilet, which we shared with the neighbours. And uh, it was pretty rough, you know. And and actually, someone said to me, and I can't remember who it was, but someone who, who worked in social services or something said, um, because you're not married, if you take the baby home, the baby will be considered at risk by view of the fact that you're not married. So they'll come to the house and do an assessment as to, as to whether the baby's safe in the right place or whatever. And when they see that place you're living in, they'll take the baby from you anyway. Yeah. So it would be better if you make an arrangement for the child and then you will know that everything's above board and that he's going to people who will want him and look after him and everything else. Um, and and th there just didn't seem to be any other option. I couldn't envisage any other option. 
Were you able to um, see Stephen when he was born? Yes, actually. Um, the, the midwife put him in my arms when he was born. I don't think she knew. Yeah. I think they just did that with everybody. And, uh, and I was so glad that when I look back, I was so glad that they did. Um, and I was just astounded. I mean, I know, you know, people are having babies all the time. It's, there's no big deal. But for me, it was a big deal. I remember I, I held him and I looked at him and I thought, wow, that, that's, that came out of me. That, you know, I was, was really quite, I was just sort of flabbergasted. And then, and then someone came in and said, oh, it was a doctor. The doctor came in and said, um, who, who, gave, who gave this baby to this, to this woman? This baby's for adoption. And grabbed, grabbed the baby, took the baby from me and said, uh, you've no right to have this, to be holding this baby. Who, who's responsible for this? And kicked up a big fuss. And then they took him. But, but the, the policy of the hospital was that all the babies were by the beds, were in a crib by the beds except mine. So I was in a ward of about 40 beds and 39 babies. Oh, so I the mothers, I, I had nothing else to do except <clears throat> watch what was happening in the ward. Um, so mothers uh, enjoying their babies, feeding their babies, changing nappies, and visitors coming and ooing and eyeing. And, um, none of that for you? None of that for me. What was life like for you after you left the hospital and left Stephen? Well, I was very, very depressed. Um, I had ex actually, I just remembered, I had to sign myself out of hospital because mm -hmm. my exam started the next day. Oh, wow. So you left so, early, earlier than you should have. I did. Yeah. yeah. I, there was a certain time you had to stay in after the birth. Yes. And I said, uh, I can't stay here any longer. I have to go. And they said, don't be silly, you know. Yeah. And I said, I've, I have to sit my exams. This was my final university exams. And if I don't do this, I've wasted the last three years at university. Yeah. So they said, well, you'll have to sign a form saying you take responsibility. If anything goes wrong, it's your fault, not the hospital's fault and all of that. So I did all of that. And after I got out of hospital, I was just like a zombie. I couldn't, couldn't uh, get interested in anything, couldn't enjoy anything. Uh, managed to pass my exams, um, which was a relief. And then I was just, I just fell into a hole. Yeah. I just didn't know where to go next or what to do next or... And I, and I had real difficulty even mixing with people. I felt that um, everybody knew and people were probably talking about me, thinking about, you know, what had happened. And some people, of course, were wonderful. I mean, I, you know, I had some lovely friends who were really supportive. <laughs> One friend brought me flowers when I was in hospital and I actually got annoyed with her because um, to me, there was nothing to celebrate. I was miserable. Yeah. Um, but I did thank her for the flowers. But I think I, I suspect that I put them in the bin because to, to me, 
it was it was appropriate to give all these other mothers flowers to congratulate them and all of that but they just didn't feel relevant to me it was like it was a celebration for me there was no celebration there was nothing about it that was that remotely um resembled a, a celebration yeah mm-hmm. so were you um, able to talk about how you were feeling with anyone Well, I I was still living with Marie and, uh, I mean, I didn't have to talk to her really. I mean, she knew how I was feeling and uh, and she's still a good friend. Yeah. So um, what happened over the coming years then, you know, the the next few years afterwards? um, I finished my degree and then, and then I went to live in Bermuda. I didn't know what else to do, really. My parents were there and my sister was there. And, and I had no family left in Scotland. Um, and I, so I, I went to live in Bermuda. And uh, I got myself a flat, uh, got myself a job. And I lived there for, I've forgotten how many years. Um, yeah, for a while <laughs> I got married there, mm-hmm. um, uh, which uh, did not turn out to be a happy marriage. Um, and I just, I just felt pretty uh, inadequate. I thought I'm, I was starting to think I can't get anything right. Um, however. Uh, my marriage gave me four children. I, I, I couldn't wait to, to have a child. I think that's why I got married, to be honest. First person who asked me. I thought, oh, if I'm married, I could have my own baby. You know, I could have a baby. So I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go, that kind of thing. Because, you know, when we were going out together, he was very sweet and well-behaved and all of that. Yeah. Um, so I got married and we moved back to Scotland and my parents had already moved back to Scotland. Uh, and uh, my first child was a boy. Um, and what was it like I, having him? I, I imagine there would have been just so much sitting underneath that experience when you had your first son that you were able to yes. keep. yes. I uh, I had to, I had him by my bed in the hospital and I I couldn't sleep I was afraid to close my eyes yeah. in case somebody took him yeah. which is which is quite uh, ridiculous really that nobody was going to steal my baby but I I didn't want to take my eyes off him in case in case I woke up and he wasn't there you know mm-hmm. that that fear and that feeling and. I, I think I, I sort of wanted to prove to myself that I could, could be a mother and, and I wasn't. Uh, people sort of thought that you were cold and hard. Oh, you gave away your baby, you know, cold-hearted bitch. Um, so I thought I need to make it clear that that I that I love children and want to be a mother and I had four children in in five years and then I thought okay I've made my point <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So there's oh. obviously a lot of pressure you put on yourself because of feelings of unworthiness or shame yes. or guilt or yes. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh goodness. But my children are my children are wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I I they they kept me busy uh, yeah. and I needed to be busy so that I didn't think too much and dwell on it. Um, having four children in five years, you know, I I never stopped. Uh, I breastfed all of them because mm-hmm. uh, I because I had to show that I was a really good mother. Yeah. I, I never bought a, a baby's bottle. None of my babies ever had a single bottle. I was going to be the mother <laughs> to you know to uh, set an example to all mothers. So I had two sons and then two daughters, and yeah. and then the marriage broke up. you moved eventually didn't you to Australia yes so there I was in Scotland with my four children and uh, I was the only one of the family there and after and so my husband was gone after the, um, and being a single parent to four children is uh, quite demanding as you can mm-hmm. imagine and people people said why don't you go to where your family is because they'd moved by then to Australia, South Australia. Yes, I'm yes, just trying yes. to think. They were all in South Australia because my brother, my brother and sister, and my parents mm-hmm. were all living in South Australia. Yeah, and so it seemed like the sensible thing to do, so that the children could grow up within the the family. Mm-hmm. And 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 I sort of thought a new country might be what I need, because everywhere I was in Scotland, I had memories. You know, every everywhere I went, I had I had memories. I love Scotland, um, but at that time, a lot of the memories were painful. Yes. And I thought, if I'm in a new place, I have no memories there. I could sort of start from scratch. Mm-hmm. So I came here with the children, um, nineteen eighty two, and we've been here ever since. Yeah. And the last. So what's that, 1982? What are we now? How many? You tell me. How many years have I been here? You don't want to be asking me the math questions, Evelyn. I would have to pick up my phone and work it out. (laughs) It's a long time. I've been here for a long time. (laughs) Let's go. It's a long time. I've been here for a long time, (laughs) and I've done a lot of healing in that time. Yeah. And uh, I now have eight grandchildren, and my my family is is all sort of down the road they're all within like 20 minutes drive of, of my yeah. house and I've remarried yeah um you really really wanted to find Stephen though didn't you ah yes yes um when I when I was in Scotland I I, I would read the papers and and anything they said about uh, something happening to a child you know an accident or or trouble of some kind I would if it was a boy I'd go how old is he you know mm-hmm. could he be my son and uh and even even walking around the town or whatever I didn't know I didn't know where he had been brought up but I would sometimes look at a boy and say he's about the right age he's, does he look like me at all you know mm-hmm. it was in my mind all the time and and I thought well and I did, I did ask somebody, I can't remember where I went, um, if I could uh, 
do anything about finding him ever. And they sort of said, oh, no, no, you don't want to do that. Don't put it out of your head, put it out of your head. Um, so then mum said, why don't you come to Australia? And I thought, well, why not, you know? So I, it was easier from the point of view, I, I wasn't sort of tormented by always looking for him everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the most important thing that happened with regard to that was when I found ARMS, I don't know if you've heard of ARMS in South Australia. Um, it's a support organisation for mothers whose children have been adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, back in the 80s, I can't remember what date exactly, might have been 87 or something, uh, they did a review of the Adoption Act in South Australia. So I've always lived in South Australia since I've come here. And my parents lived here, lived close by. They're both dead now. Um, uh, sorry, where was I? Oh, You're yes. saying arms? Yes. yes. Yeah. They, they had a, a review of the Adoption Act in South yeah. Australia in the mid-80s. And there was stuff in the paper, newspaper, about adoption. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And they, they were talking about whether or not parents could look for their children and whatever. And they mentioned Jigsaw. And I thought, well, I might bring them up and just see what all this is about. I mean, it doesn't apply to me because my son wasn't born here, but but I was interested in what was happening. So I rang Jigsaw and they were very nice and they put me onto arms, which at the time was the Australian Relinquishing Mothers Society. So I, uh, they had a meeting on in the city for all these mothers. And I thought, Maybe I could go to that. Mm-hmm. There would be many there, you know, because there are many of us. There won't be many there. And then I thought, now I'll need to get a babysitter because the children were still young and they're all going to wonder where I'm going because I, I, I didn't go out at night very much at all. So I made up some story about where I was going because I couldn't, couldn't tell anybody. Well, my children didn't know. So I turned up at this meeting and I, <laughs> I walked into this room and there were all these women, and I thought, I must be in the wrong place. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, all these women wouldn't have had babies that were adopted. Not, not that number. I mean, it, I, I thought I was the only one in the world, more or less, because yeah. yeah. as far as I knew, I was. I didn't yeah. know anybody else in that situation. So they said, uh, come in, sit down. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm in the right place. Yeah, anyway, sat down, and then they started talking, and I was just stunned, absolutely stunned to hear all these women and all their stories were the same, but different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a huge turning point for me, huge. Cause I'd never talked to anybody about it. My, my mother never mentioned it. Everybody just pretended, including me, tried to pretend it had never happened. Mm-hmm. There was a lot going on in here, but in terms of interacting with other people, I never talked about it. So that was a real turning point for me when I looked at all these people and I thought, they're all decent looking women, you know, you know, they haven't got horns. And um, so that then and on the way I was driving home and thought, I really should tell the children. Uh, I've got to tell them one day. 
because I was always hoping to find him again, always from, from the day he was born. In fact, I just remembered I said that to him. I remember holding him as a baby when he was born because they gave him to me, as I said to you. And then somebody thought they'd made a mistake and they took him away. Mm -hmm. I said to him, I will, I will see you again one day. So uh, when I got home, <clears throat> I thought, um, after I had decided, right, I'm going to tell the children, what's the worst that can happen? So I did. And uh, they weren't impressed at all. They were very unhappy with me. How could you do that? Yeah. And uh, one of my, my older daughters said, he's our brother. How could you, how could you do that? Didn't you, didn't you, don't you like children? Didn't you want to be a mother? Yeah. She's, she's still, she's still very uh, outspoken. <laughs> she doesn't hold back. Um, and oh, the first thing they said was, so where is he then? And I said, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Don't you care? Oh. Yes, I do care, but I'm not allowed to know. Well, that, she, she goes, well, that's just silly. Yes, it is silly. Mm. <laughs> so um, I got I got that over with um, telling the children. That was huge. Yeah. Huge. I bet. And then the next day I went to see my mum and I said, I told the children. And she said, oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad you did. What did they say? You know, um, and, and uh, I, would, I forget which one it was that said this, but one of them said, I was probably, it was probably my older daughter again. <laughs> she, she still doesn't mince her words. Um, well, uh, are, you, are you going to find him then? And I said, well, I can try, but I don't know if I will. And then she said, well, anyway, uh, he'll probably hate you because you dumped him when he was a baby. And he'll, oh, probably, he'll probably never want to see you again, so I wouldn't bother. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, dear. And I said, well, well, you never know. I'll, I'll try. I'll try. Um, and then my, my youngest daughter said, um, well, Mum, if, if he doesn't want to know you, I've got to cry. And I, this always makes me cry. She said, if he doesn't want to know you, that would be terrible because he'll never know what a great mum you really are. And that still gets to me, as you can see. And I said, well, thank you, dear. I somehow found about an agency in Scotland uh, and I contacted them. And I probably wrote them a letter in those days. And they said that... Um, under Scottish law, I'm not entitled to any information about my child. And, um, uh, but they had a contact register and they said, you can put your name on the contact register. And if your son searches for you, then they make a match and you get in touch. So I said, well, I'll do that if that's all I can do. Uh, he left home to go to university in Glasgow and when, and he shared a flat with other students, you know, and because he was out of the house, um, he felt the freedom to, to start doing that. He had it in mind for a while. And he went to an agency and 
he wasn't very impressed with um, that they wouldn't do more for him, I think. They said they couldn't look for me. They didn't have the um, whatever, you know, they didn't have time and, and all of that to look for people because there's a lot of people and live in Britain, you know. Um, so they said to him, leave your name with us. And if, if she contacts us, you know, whatever. Uh, I was working on the parade at Norwood and I, and I somehow got the message that uh, this person from this adoption place in Edinburgh, because I remember going down to the post office and I wrote a, fa a fax, because <laughs> faxes were the go at that time. Yeah. Sent off a fax to this person in Edinburgh and said who I was and when my son was born and everything. Anyway, it was in the end, we got in touch with each other only because we both searched at the same time. We both actually went to the same agency wow. independently at the same time. Wow. And they made the match, um, which they said was very rare. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, she said, uh, oh, I said, to, I said in the facts, I said, please ask him to call me and reverse the charges. And this is my number. So they told him that I was in Australia and he's like, what? <laughs> That's not convenient. <laughs> no, no. So uh, he rang me that night and we had a, a long uh, talk on the phone. Um, I, was, uh, I was a bit anxious about the phone call. I didn't know how he was going to feel about being adopted, whether he would be angry or, and I didn't know what kind of, life he'd had in his adopted family whether he blamed me or anything like that mm. but uh, the conversation went well and I asked him if he'd like to come out to Australia for a visit and he said oh yes <laughs> <laughs> so he did uh, and the children all came to the airport with me to meet him so we were we were sort of a gang waiting for him you know <laughs> all five of us uh, and he's, I can't remember how long he was here for, uh, three or four weeks, I think, not quite sure. I've probably got it all, if I read my own books more often, yeah. <laughs> I remember better. Um, but it all went very well. That's great. That's great. Uh, and we've been in touch ever since. And he, he now lives in Australia. He's got Australian citizenship. Um, uh, he he's written his own uh, chapter to the book. I read that. I, yeah. <clears throat> when I uh, I republished my first book and I added some things to it, and one of the things I added was his his chapter. Mm -hmm. So he got to tell his own story. Uh, yeah. And he and I have done presentations together um, for you know sort of adoption support groups and things. Yeah. Uh, he was with me for the uh, apology, the adoption apology. Yeah, that um, would have been an amazing moment. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. We'll be talking um, in the next episode more about reunions and how they sometimes don't follow a smooth trajectory. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess I was wondering, what has your reunion with Stephen brought to your life? <sighs> Self-respect. <laughs> I I feel um, now well since since I've been in touch with Stephen 
that if he is happy to accept everything that happened and accept me as I am, then too bad if anybody else feels otherwise. So it's given me a lot more confidence in myself. I was very down on myself all these years. I felt guilty. Um, I felt I'm not like other people. I dreaded get somebody saying, how many children have you got? You know, it made me mm. tense. Uh, I've, I've lost all of that. I'm much, I'm much more confident, more relaxed. Um, I'm much easier on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, actually, I said to him at one point, we must have been talking about this, and I said, I feel so much better to know that that you don't hate me and he said why would I hate you what do you mean you know <laughs> and I'm like oh that's fine that's fine you know and it, it's made a huge difference and I've thanked him for that I I thank him for having the courage to come all the way to Australia on his own to meet this this new mother and family that he knows nothing about and take the chance you know of doing that Uh, he's certainly not afraid to take chances he's um he's done a lot of learning he's he's a teacher uh, and i've been a teacher also he's working now as a teacher but he's also got a degree in law and he's traveled uh, more than I ever have. And he was all set to go and, and uh, teach English with the Dalai Lama oh. when the COVID um, restrictions came on. So he was not impressed. So he's waiting for COVID to clear up so that he can shoot off to the Dalai Lama's place. There's, there's some very clear genetic links between the two of you, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> both adventurous. Yes, 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 indeed. So he was interested to hear that I had traveled a fair bit and had lived in different places. I mean, when he first of all, when the woman first said to him that I was in Australia, he was just, what? <laughs> oh, that's the other side of the world. What's she doing there? <laughs> and the other thing, the other thing about our relationship uh, is that my children now are Australian. My other mm-hmm. four children—they're not Scottish anymore. They get some of—they get the Scottish stuff because, of course, my mum and dad—they knew my mum and dad very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Stephen is just Scottish through and through, and so uh, we can enjoy Scottish jokes and things together. Yeah. And, and, he, and he directs me to Scottish programs on TVs and stuff like that. Yeah. On TV. Um, it's fantastic. It's the, the, the biggest difference that it has made to me is in my own self-esteem. Yeah. Uh, a lot of forgiveness, it sounds like, that you've given yourself. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I just thought, well, if, if, he's, if he can deal with it, if he can live with it, well, I can too. You know, he gave me yeah. permission to start to love myself again. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. It is. Evelyn, look, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Um, I've so enjoyed this time with you and I, I enjoyed getting to know you a little bit when you came over and um, and spoke at one of our federal apology anniversaries. Mm-hmm. And um, I know it's going to be really helpful and I can't wait to record our second episode where we're talking about some of the, um, the things that you've written about in your book. Mm-hmm. Books, plural, I should say. You've been a very busy lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know they're going to be really helpful for people as well. That's why I wrote them. Yeah, Yeah, they're fantastic. Um, You're an incredible lady. 
Thank you. Would you like to, can I have that in writing and I'll give it to all my children? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And then could you say the same thing to my boys? <laughs> You're, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, good, all right. <laughs> in their direction. <laughs> my children are lovely and they are very appreciative and uh, it, I love having them living nearby. All right, well, we better um, finish this episode and um, and I'll be talking to you again soon about your books and um, and I'll pop some links up for where you can get hold of Evelyn's books and where you can find out more about her on the episode notes page of the Jigsaw Queensland website. I can't speak today. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have copies of Evelyn's books in our Jigsaw Queensland library that are available for borrowing. If you're um, local to Jigsaw, you can come in and grab them from one of our support group meetings and then return them when you're done for someone else to read. So meanwhile, uh, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. So bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption.